Uh, an hour into the show, you will hear a beep. That's just the Instapot yogurt cycle finishing. Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing we heard on the show with you. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm just saying. And yes, I make my own yogurt now. Don't, don't let him give you shit, Jeff, because every single episode we hear his uh, Ryu ring or message notification. No, I'm t- I, I was talking about the episode we had Jeff on with Pat, and we heard a gunshot outside Donnie's window. Yeah, I remember that now. You are listening to Trophy Horse with your host, Tricky Mick, Alex, I Yield to No One, Steve, and Sid. Everybody and welcome to Trophy Yours. This is episode 449. I'm your host, Tricky Mick. Alongside with me, the goal-stealing man himself, it's Alex. I feel nervous whenever we have a big-time name on the show, when we ever have a big guest, because i got to come up with some fancy intro so I don't feel like an idiot. And also, how long are you to call me a goal-stealer? Uh, the poll has proven you are a goal-stealer. Uh, you're a goal-stealer, too, because the other poll proved you stole a goal from Yield and Homer. So. But I accept that. No, no, I could be introducing yourself, sir. I, I accept that I stole that goal from Yield. Speaking of Yield, he brings the awesome. He's here as well. Hi, I'm slightly uh, distracted. I'm listening to the game. Well, how could you be distracted when you have such a big marquee name on the show? Because it's the first game of the year and we're getting beat. <laughs> Speaking of that big time guest, he is a longtime friend of the show. We love to have him on, and he always drops the knowledge when he's here. It's Mr. Jeff Hanna. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. That raises a question. How long has it been? Uh, well, Earlier this year? It was, what, springtime? No, no, no. I mean, like, overall, it's been like a decade, hasn't it? I, I, If I remember correctly, and I'm, my memory's a little fuzzy on this, I met you when we, start, when we started the show, but we actually didn't have, didn't have you on the show until the 100s or 200s. Okay. Um, because I actually met you through Doc with Sarcastic Gamer. Yep. I, reached, I heard you a couple times on their podcast, and I reached out to you, uh, nervous because I didn't know, you know, if you would even consider it, because I didn't know how, you know. And as it turns out, my nerves were, you know, misguided because you are the nicest guest we have. Like, I. I oh, thank you. I, when I when I say like it's an honor to bring you on the show, it's because whenever we bring you on the show. Like, the amount of comments, support, and, like, oh, man, I wish we could have asked him a question. Because we come, like, we bring you on, and nobody hears us. We just let you talk because you dropped the knowledge <laughs> so much. But uh, speaking of knowledge, I have to ask you a question. Okay. Okay, because this was brought up uh, on a Twitch stream, and you are from the Midwest. Yes. So... Um, me being a northerner, I was told I was out of my mind. And Alex and Yield are not allowed to say anything until after you give your answer and explain it. Okay. So the question to you is, how do you feel about peanut butter on pancakes and waffles? 100% acceptable. What the hell is wrong with you people? That is so nasty. It also goes well on Pop-Tarts. Okay. And brownies. Yes. I think the question is, have you ever 
because people are making all kinds of crazy sandwiches these days. Have you ever taken two Pop Tarts as kind of the bread and had peanut butter in the middle and made some kind of sandwich that way? Not in a long time, but I mean, you have to understand there are two types of Pop Tarts. There's frosted cherry and everything else. <laughs> and, not, not even blueberry. Blueberry doesn't even make the the good category. No, no. And in college, uh, is people that have listened to me on the show before know I went to Purdue University. I was a teaching assistant for graphic arts, and the dorms would have pop tarts out every morning because you know that's an acceptable breakfast, I guess, in the at least in the nineties. Uh, and I had homework amnesty where if you could bring, you could turn your homework in any number of weeks late, but for the number of weeks late the homework was, you had to bring me that many packets of Frosted Cherry Pop-Tarts. And I had an office in the building and I had a, at least a year's supply of Pop-Tarts in that office at any given point in time. Do Pop-Tarts expire? I do not believe so. And in fact, somebody asked about Wasteland 3. There is a long running Pop-Tart, they're called, uh, I think they're called like Ever-Tarts or something in Wasteland 3. But there is a long-running joke through line in Wasteland 3 about Pop-Tarts not expiring after the nuclear apocalypse. No. And I, and listeners, I know you, you can't see uh, Jeff, but Jeff is enjoying his glass of Hannah wine right now. And it just he's just too sophisticated for us. <laughs> a uh, 2015 vintage Pinot Noir from Hannah Vineyards in Sonoma, California. Finely aged. Well, I mean, it's wine. Okay, and now I have to ask you the question. It'll do the trick. And and now I have to ask you a question. I know you can't give me an answer. What's going on with Saintro? It's being made. I answered you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all you need to know, really. As long yeah, as people know, no, we know it's being made. I'm just, I don't know. We well, can't tell you exactly which weapons or how many dildos are in this game. I, I can tell you it's being made, and for the majority of the company, it's being made while we work from home. But we are never mind. We already knew all that. <laughs> you know, Ricky's looking for breaking news on the show. No, well, see, I, 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 I hope Jeff appreciates it, but like, I always ask Jeff these questions. I know he can't answer, but I just. It's like I'm trying to break him, but I, I really don't want to break him. It's just, I just like giving him a hard time. He's like, when, when I reached out to him for the show, he goes, no, I can't tell you about St. Charles. I was like, I wasn't even going to ask. <laughs> All right, let's do our updated trophy count. I am level 56, total trophies of 13,254 with 244 platinums. Alex? Level 32, total trophy count of 7,068 and a platinum count of 106 and 105 games. Uh, you got a new one besides uh, Cuphead? No, Cuphead was the last platinum I got. Okay. I'm actually working on Streets of Rage 4 because I'm trying to run through the game uh, and get the Maniac trophy for getting S ranks on all the hard, the hardest, uh, the hard difficulty or higher on all levels. All right, yield. Level 31, trophy count of 6782 and a plat count of 112. You've gotten two since the last show, correct? I've gotten two, yes. What two have you gotten, sir? Uh, what was it? Must not have been that good of games. Dead to Rights Retribution okay. and Deadlight Director's Cut. Yeah, two two not good games. You know, I, en I enjoyed the first Dead to Rights. Oh, uh -oh, but, uh -oh. I, was... <laughs> I think I made Jeff upset. <laughs> you, 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 I did you a, Dead to Rights. He's like, or, oh, or, man, that's harsh. Or, or, I thought you mentioned a zombie game. 
No, I was. I'm sorry. I was thinking Dying Light. Never mind. Dying Light is a good game. I, I said the not good games, and I saw Jess face go, "Whoa!" Yeah, I'm like, "Wait, what? no!" I was you thinking of a different game. Though. Never, don't mind me. The first Dead to Rights was worth playing, if only to see all like the disarm animations. I, I enjoyed that game. It was fun at times, but I, I heard the sequel Retribution was not that great. All right. Uh, Sid is level 41. Toby Toby's of 9,909 with 171 plats. And Jeff, I know you're not in the agenda, so you didn't get the jokes that I put in here. Uh, <laughs> I put you as level one. Trophy count uh-huh. is negative uh, one. And yep. your plat count, your plat count is, is zero HN, which stands for, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. Are you ever going to buy a PS? You know what? I am not against the idea. Uh, my sourness on the platform after having to handle different shader compilation intricacies for Red Faction Guerrilla back in 2009 uh, has faded. But I think Sony needs. I, I think Sony's going to have an interesting time matching the prices that Microsoft just announced for the two Xboxes. Well, we are going to go into that uh, in our first topic. But before we get there. Let's talk about what we have been playing. Jeff, can we start with you, sir? Sure. Uh, a lot of the new Microsoft Flight Simulator, and Wasteland 3, and as always, Sea of Thieves. You're still on that Sea of Thieves, huh? Uh, me and some other technical artists from around the gaming industry still get together and do the piratey shenanigans as much as possible. I actually want to have a little sidebar here because my stepbrother actually texted me because he started listening to the show not too long ago, and he heard the episode you were on earlier this year, Jeff, and he actually texted me to be like, oh, Jeff is so funny, Jeff is an awesome guest, and he actually thought about playing Sea of Thieves based on what you had said on the show. I, if he can get access to it, especially, I mean, if you do Xbox Game Pass, it's free, essentially. Um, it's well worth it. Uh, it is, they even just added more content this past month. The post-launch content updates for that thing are monthly and some of them are gigantically huge it's a bit crazy how good that game has gotten over the past two years well and how they continue to support it you know even after long after the tale of a traditional game is is over and dead i i have been a rare fan for 25 some odd years ever since blast core came out on the nintendo 64 i know i forgot that was a rare game that is a rare game uh, I know people that work at Rare because I've mentored them at GDC. I have huge respect for that company. And what they are doing with Sea of Thieves as a games-as-a-service system is just mind-blowingly good. Because I know, to be honest, Rare, they they used to have a really good track record. And I feel like the thought on them now is that in recent years, they haven't been as good or on the ball as they used to be on the N- Nintendo, the N64, all of that. But, you know... It's nice to know that they are still getting credit for doing like hard work and making good games. Because you know, I like some of the newer games, like Viva Pinata and Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, didn't really hit as well as like you know Banjo did or the Battletoads or uh, Jet right. Force Gemini. So, um, I will I will go toe to toe with you on whether or not Viva Pinata is a good game. It's a great game, and actually one of my favorite liveries to put on my pirate ship in Sea of Thieves is the Viva Pinata. Uh, inspired livery. Oh, to be fair, I like I always liked the look of Viva Pinata because of how colorful it was and just the concept of the game. But I've never owned an Xbox, so I've never had the opportunity to play it. So right. I've just just what I've heard through the grapevine. 
Well, you can you can get XCloud now and play it just streaming on your mobile device. Doesn't XCloud require you to actually have a console though? I don't believe it does. I thought it did. I'd have to look up at that. I know ultimately the goal is to not have that. Because you're not playing off of your own console, you're streaming you're streaming from servers. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe I misunderstood what XCloud is. Because I thought XCloud was essentially remote play for like the PlayStation has remote play. I thought XCloud was the same functionality, but you could just play on any device. Uh yes, but I don't believe it is your library, but I don't believe it is streaming off of your device. I believe it is streaming off of actual Azure servers. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to look into I honestly I didn't look into it because I didn't own the console and like I said I thought you required a console. So I didn't look into it, but I can do the research and look for that. Well, it would either it would be console or PC because there is now Game Pass for PC, and that is covered on XCloud. That's a fair point too. Yeah. Okay, uh, Alex, what have you been playing, sir? Well, after finishing Cuphead, doing my expert run and getting the platinum trophy in that, I just went back into Street of Rage, and I, like I said, I'm now trying to beat all the levels on the hard difficulty and get the S rank because I'm kind of waiting until Crash Bandicoot comes out in October to. Uh, to devote my money to another game, although except, you know, on Thursdays for our, our Rocket League excursions, and I am looking forward to the next Rocket Pass because I probably am going to uh, buy into that. Well, not probably. I'm going to buy into the next Rocket Pass, so. All right. Kind of biding my time until October. All right, Yield? Well, let's see. I played some Ticket to Ride, played some Rocket League. I did play some Rock Band 4, Deadlight Director's Cut, Dead to Rights Retribution, Ghost of Tsushima, Alpha Protocol, and I tried this severely overhyped game called Fall Guys. Not severely overhyped. Thank you. I mean, it's not a fun game because I'm no good at it. <laughs> but it's not overhyped. <clears throat> Jeff, what do you think is like the reason that game has blown up so much? And yes, it was free for PlayStation Plus, but what do you think are the factors that make that game so much fun to play? Because, you know, you see a lot of big streamers on YouTube, even people who aren't traditionally, like, just game streamers. You see everyone getting together and playing it. Like, what about what about that game makes it so, um, just so in demand right now? There isn't a gun to be found. <laughs> I know, that, I'm serious. That's actually a fair point. The Even Sea of Thieves has weaponry. There isn't a gun to be found in that game. The point of that game is to best your opponents, but it is not to best your opponents by directly affecting negatively the in-game health of your opponent. It is a race. It is, it is, it's more pure. It's more fun. Fun's not the right word. It's, a, it's an experience that has nothing to do with aggression. It is an experience that has everything to do with making your on-screen avatar strive his or her hardest to get to the finish line. And yes, you can push people, <clears throat> fine. And you can push them off the edge, fine. But it's all about overcoming obstacles. It's not about beating someone else physically or remotely with a weapon. See what I what I like about Fall Guys, and this is off, you know, maybe a little off the the subject a little bit, but it's Fall Guys related. Is Jeff? Did you see all the attention that Tim the Tatman was getting 
with Fall Guys? No. Okay. Tim started playing the game on stream, and Tim's one of the biggest uh, Twitch streamers out there. Uh, and it was clear that he was getting griefed. Like people knew who he what his number was, and he was getting griefed. And he, you know, playing the joke along, he was stream sniping. The Fall Guys Twitter started roasting him so really? so much that it gained so much attention that ESPN was started tweeting, talking about, will Tim ever get his first crown? Because it took weeks <laughs> for Tim to get his first crown. And he would get close, and it was just... That's what drew me into Fall Guys, was just, like, how stupid fun it was. It was uh -huh. not... It was, it's not... Like you said, it's not about aggression. It's a battle royale, but it's comedy. And... It's just it's so fun. Like on certain levels, like uh, uh, I I don't remember what it's called, but there's uh, one where there's two rollers that go into one roller, and all you have to do is stand on the one roller and you block everybody's progress. Yep. And it's fun to grief people, but it's also very annoying because you're running up and you're like you're one of the last people that can qualify, and it's this guy there just waving at you, and as you get close, he just grabs you and pushes you off the ledge. It, it's mm -hmm. it's mindless, stupid fun, but it's fun. So it seems like Tricky likes the antagonist part of the game the most. I, I like oh. to disagree. I like to disagree. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I see where the game is fun, and I see where it can be fun, but all that griefing, it, it that's that that's not cool. <laughs> Have you ever watched an episode of American Ninja Warrior and thought, "My God, that person didn't make it more than three seconds into the run. I could do better than that." No. Okay. A lot of us have. That's all Fall Guys is. It's your chance to try to be good at American Ninja Warriors without having to train for American Ninja Warriors. It's an obstacle course, and you have to do better than most everybody else on screen to proceed to the next level. It's it's a very pure distillation of fun. So that's how they got around paying for the American Ninja Warrior license. No, well, no, because a regular American Ninja Warrior licensed game where you're just going to get time to click buttons and do quick time events to go through an obstacle course would be boring as hell, pardon my language. This game, by putting you in there with a bunch of other people and making it a bit more disconnected from reality is a similar experience, but it is a more correct experience for how you actually accomplish getting through the course. And don't worry about cursing, Jeff. We, we curse on this show all the time. And yeah, the griefing is probably not cool, but it's no different than someone in Gran Turismo or Forza online turning around and driving the wrong way around a course. You just deal with it. Those people are those people are the trolls, and they're the ones that eventually won't be there anymore because they'll get bored with it because people will learn how to get around them. And it's no different than when you're playing Rocket League and you have a perfectly aligned goal, but your opponent comes up and boosts into your car and blows you up. It sounds like we hit a nerve. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just explaining it in, uh, in a game they, they adore. Oh, them and my 15 year old. Yeah. Uh, they, well, Alex and Yield have been, and Homer, uh, who is actually Yield's brother, has been playing Rocket League on Thursday nights on Twitch. And 
just the trolling's gone back and forth, and I'm sure you saw the poll in our Facebook group where Alex stole the gold from me. Oh yeah. So yeah. see, see, even Jeff agrees you stole it from me. No, I said I, I saw. The uh, poll. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. I, I got, I got the audio Don't. now. <laughs> Jeff is his own man, and he can answer for himself. He doesn't need you putting words into his mouth. Right. I, I saw the poll. You saw the. And do you, all right. So do you agree? Did he steal it? Does it matter? See, you can't give that answer. That's that's what. Yeah, actually, yes, he, yes, he can. That's what Alice's girlfriend gave the answer. That's no. It's, you know what you're doing right now. What am I doing right now? You're faking the soccer player injury to get the yellow card. Oh, uh, oh, so you're 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 saying I'm uh, what's the word? Flopping? Yeah. Uh, oh, look at the doggy. Oh, that's Star. That's yeah, a nice way to change subject. Yeah. All right. That's Star. She's about a year and a half old. All right. She is a retriever cattle dog mix, which is a very interesting combination. She can actually teleport. Which I guess is genetic to keep away from cow hooves. She, you could look at her, and then suddenly she'll be in a completely different place. A teleporting dog—that's the most interesting thing we've ever had on the show. It's pretty—it's pretty amazing when she gets triggered and goes in full-on like cattle herder mode. Yep. All right, let's move on. This portion of the show is brought to you by Twitch Prime. Did you know that Amazon gives you five dollars to give to your favorite streamer every month? If you link your Amazon Prime account with Twitch. You can sub to any Twitch page for free. You have to renew every month, otherwise Amazon is just going to keep your money. Why not give it to us instead? <laughs> I think Jeff's hearing these, these for the first time. <laughs> Amazon's not going to keep your money. They're going to use it to help launch one percenters into suborbital flight so they can look at the curve of the Earth. Moving on. PlayStation 5. <laughs> Tricky's like, damn it, he's talking shit about our sponsor. <laughs> that that's exactly why. PlayStation Five oh, and, and, and and Tricky wrote all of the scripts. Okay, well you can edit that out if you want. No, I'm, I'll edit that out. That's I I leave the comedy in. PlayStation Five showcase has been announced for Wednesday, which is the day the show is coming out. So chances are either you're hearing uh, this before, and that the showcase is going to be at one p.m. Uh, Pacific time, four p.m. Eastern, and nine p.m. BST, I guess that's England. I don't know what the BST stands that's for. That's usually GST. Is it? Yeah, BST and GST are essentially the same. 4 p.m. Eastern, five hours ahead would yes, that would be that would be uh, GMT, BST, and UTC. Okay, so uh, rumors are that we're going to get the official release date, which has been heavily uh, leaked. Also, that we are going to get a price point and possibly some games. Now, I don't know how much you can speak to this, Jeff, because I don't know if you actually know anything or do you have an idea of this or anything like that. But it, we we got the Xbox announcements that the the Series X Series S is going to be three hundred dollars, and the Series X is going to be five hundred dollars, and that they're coming out November tenth, I believe. Something like that, yes. I, I can look that up, but so I'm going to start off with you, Jeff. Do you think the PlayStation is going to be able to match the prices and or the release date? I think they will be able to match the release date. The prices, maybe they can match the Series X. I think the price of the Series S probably caused them a bit of pause. 
I think it caused a lot of people a bit of pause because 299 for a new console that doesn't run 4K, um, but you can just have is super compelling. Uh, I was doing some math because I've owned every Xbox. If I were to get a Series X, I'm looking at basically 11 to $1,200 first year because there's no sense in me getting a Series X if I don't also get a 4K HDR TV, which I don't currently have. I've got a 1080p t TV. And then if I get a 4K HDR TV, 60 inch, um, I would also probably need to pay Netflix for the higher tier to get 4K streaming because what's the point of having a 4K TV if you don't actually have 4K content? Whereas if I'm just interested in new games, $300 is almost an impulse buy for quite a lot of people and just plug it into any TV you have and go. I'm not, I'm also surprised that PlayStation let Microsoft get their announcement on the 25th anniversary of the PlayStation release. And I, that they're, they're making their announcement two weeks after the fact. See, that I, seemed, I, I have that a seemed like a that. bit of a PR snafu in my mind. See, I, I, I have a conspiracy theory on this. It, the Series S was leaked, and then Xbox basically confirmed it the day or the day after. Uh, I think, and this is all conspiracy theory, I think Microsoft knew that this conference, Sony conference was coming out, and they leaked this information ahead of time themselves to get the news cycle. They leaked the Series S months ahead of when you think it was leaked. Well, yes, because it was, it was in Phil Spencer's videos. It was in Phil Spencer's video during Build. They had so many Easter eggs in Build that it actually got a bit too dense for people to follow. But they leaked it in June, essentially. Right. I don't think the pricing was some sort of late game adjustment. I think they knew these prices. Because what was it? Wasn't the PlayStation 3 originally $599? Wasn't it like that, above? Yes, it was. It was originally six hundred dollars. It was. It was five. Yeah, it was five ninety nine. Thirty. The thirty two gig. Right, because they right. they released two SKUs. The PS three was released in two SKUs. One was five hundred. The other one was six hundred. Right, and there's generally a rule that four ninety nine is the make or break on consumer electronics. And so then Sony came out with the five ninety nine console. I'm not sure, and let me let me be completely fair here. I am friends with, and I sit on the GDC advisory board with Mark Cerny, the system architect of PlayStations. I know nothing about their plans. Uh, I don't know. I think they can match the 499 price point for the high end. Uh, I will be pleasantly surprised if and when they do. I'm still not certain that they can do a lower end price point at 299. I think their lower end price point is only going to be a hundred dollars less at three ninety nine. Well, see, okay, I talked to somebody who's going to remain nameless, uh, but I have a friend that works within Sony. Uh, mm -hmm. When the, when this person has told me things, I would say fifty percent of the time he's right, fifty percent of the time he's wrong. But last thing he told me was that the two SKUs for the PlayStation Five were actually going to come out at the same price, but the digital-only version was going to have a bigger hard drive because you can't install games onto it, causing the, the, ca ca causing the systems to cost the same amount of money. Okay. 
that will be an interesting development. If they didn't, if their lower end skew is just disc, is just optical drive or no optical drive, that's a different proposition than what Microsoft has done, which is console at actual lower graphic specs versus console at slightly pushing the edge of, of modern TV graphic specs. Uh, in which case, if they do them at the same price, doing those two things at the same price point to me would make no sense. I think it would. Um, I think it actually cause confusion between you know the generic mom and dad going to the store to buy the right system. It would cause a lot of confusion. Now, granted, I think GameStop is not doing well, and I don't necessarily think a lot of people still go into retail stores to buy optical media. I went into Best Buy the first time, probably a month ago in a year, and their actual display areas for modern consoles were non-existent um there was nothing there was nothing there uh the games section was minuscule where the game sections for all of those consoles nintendo microsoft sony used to take up a noticeable amount of floor space in a best buy right they're gone so i i'm not sure physical sales are something that people are still interested in i haven't bought a physical disc in a long long time uh, but then again, I've also been an Xbox Game Pass owner for two years now. I, th I got it for Sea of Thieves. And with this week's announcement that EA Play is just included with Xbox Game Pass without any additional charge, N Microsoft is winning the Netflixification of game delivery. Oh, there's no doubt on that. They're, right? They're absolutely and, dominating that market right now. And so... and. Opti an optical driveless Xbox to me makes a lot of sense. An optical driveless PlayStation makes a certain amount of sense, but I'm not as engrossed in the whole PlayStation e ecosystem to know if Sony is offering the same level of store access and you know one price gets you a lot of stuff. They they bought Gaikai what five years ago now, so I would think that their ability to to offer a streaming service to offer digital only downloads should be there. But you're, I agree with you though, offering two consoles at the same price point, one with a physical drive and one without a physical drive, is a recipe for disaster. So let me ask you this question, and uh, you probably cannot answer this we've heard multiple rumors that the playstation and xbox are making their own hard drives for expandable storage on the systems do you know anything about that i don't know anything about that other than what was announced at the nvidia uh press release uh earlier this week or late last week i forget exactly when it happened Modern GPUs are gaining the ability to circumvent the CPU and have direct access to the drive media, which I'm going to be a bit snarky and a bit surly and a bit old man here. We have finally in the year 2020 achieved on the PC platform parity with what the chipset on a Commodore Amiga in the mid 90s allowed. Mm -hmm because those chips had direct memory access across everything. They didn't have to go to the CPU to ask for stuff. This is going to be a game changer. I don't know if I, I've heard, and you've got to dive through marketing stuff and this and that, and I believe probably the best place to go to understand a lot of this would be Linus Tech Tips. The ability for the GPU to access the hard drive is game changing. 
whether or not that means that the hard drives are being specifically designed by the console manufacturers is a bit of information I have no context about whatsoever. All right, because uh, months ago we had we we saw pictures. Now, granted, they could have been photoshopped or whatever it is you know people do on the internet, but they had these expandable hard drives that mm-hmm. that they were saying that you could just plug into the PlayStation Five, and that they were Sony branded, which caused a lot of. Uh, a lot of I don't want to say fear because I think fear is a little bit too strong of a word, but uncertainty because of what happened with the Vita and their you know their this and you know they didn't want those to be overpriced and all this other stuff. Right. So, because uh, we've had questions on the show, you know, people talk about well, can you expand the hard drive? Can you change the hard drive? And that brought up the conversation about these you know Sony PlayStation themed hard drives that Sony was making. And like that's why I asked you the question because I don't know if that was true or they really have because I I'm, I'm sorry I know you get ready to say something we had that whole big uh, GDC speak by Mark Cerny where oh. they went did the deep dive into the hard drives but they never actually said these are going to be Sony themed or PlayStation themed they would just talk about the hard drives that they're putting in the systems right. I don't believe at any point Sony would start making their own SSDs. That's not something they as a corporate, they've never dealt in mass storage devices as a corporation. And even companies that sell SSDs, Samsung, well, Samsung's probably the outlier here, Western Digital, Corsair, most of those companies that make SSDs don't develop the drive controller chips and the NAND chips themselves. They buy off-the-shelf components from other businesses, the drive controller, the NAND chips. They put it all together, and they say, look, we made an SSD. I wouldn't be surprised if a Sony-branded, approved and authorized SSD that works with the PlayStation 5 isn't just Sony licensing their name out to another manufacturer to make the hard drive. I'm going to send you a picture in the uh, Skype chat here to show you... Uh, what what we or what was put out there? That picture caused a lot of uh, questions. Yeah, um, it's not loading. <laughs> let me try again. Uh, but okay, let me draw a parallel. Uh, my father's last job before retirement—he's been retired for a decade or more now—was for the clothing manufacturer Nautica, and a lot of people buy Nautica jeans. Nautica had never made jeans. They've just licensed their name to another company that made blue jeans. And that's perfectly acceptable. Um, and I think the same thing would be true here. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for Sony to spin up an entirely new business unit to make hard drives just for the PlayStation. Okay. Yeah, that's not loaded. All right. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen. Hold on. I'm getting a redirect notice on it from Google. Okay. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. I got it. Okay, I just shared my screen, so. And, yeah. and See, because they don't look like traditional hard drives. They look like something that you can change in and out of the system. They look a lot like cartridges. But, right. you know what, SSDs could very easily be cartridges. I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't, why, I mean, one of the big failings, I think, between... Uh, let's say the PlayStation 2, Xbox 360 era and now is people had to find workarounds to modify their consoles 
to update the hard drive size. And that's been something that I would think most, most manufacturers have noticed by now. So why not make them modular and allow you to slot in different ones? Yeah, I, um, all right. That seems that seems perfectly, especially, I mean, physic, spinning media, that would be a huge problem because you can't guarantee that somebody's not going to drop that or kick it around the family room and scratch the head all over the magnetic surface. But with SSDs, they're cartridges. So why not allow people to actually just put in a two terabyte drive and have, let's say, all of their fighting games on it and pull that one out and put in their three, three terabyte drive, which has, let's say, their one Rockstar game on it. Right. Um, I'm making a joke there. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I, I, I was about to ask Alex and Yield, what, do, what are your thoughts on all this? So I'm interested to see, as I think many people are, how so your response to this, because I do think the $300 price point for the S is is a, is kind of a, it is kind of putting some pressure on Sony, because as Jeff said, it's more of an impulse purchase. And there are some people out there, a lot of people, I would say both Yield and I are, you know, in that group that don't really care about 4K as much. But for me, the thing that's going to cause Sony the most consternation is the fact that people can buy the top of the line Xbox and finance it, kind of like a cell phone. So. Yes. Cell phones, like if I had to like spend like six hundred, seven hundred dollars on a cell phone, at, like for a new one, and had no opportunity to finance it, I'd be a lot less likely to buy like just buy a cell phone on a whim. I would be like, well, it's gonna be like my tennis shoes, where I wear tennis shoes until they're basically falling off my feet, and then I'll go buy more. But the option to buy a top line console and pay monthly on it is. It's like it's a, it opens up a lot of people's options because so, you know anyone or a lot of people can go in or a lot more people can go into a store and pay per month to get a console than they can just drop five hundred dollars to buy a PlayStation and that makes it a lot more attractive to a lot of people. So I think it's a brilliant move by Xbox and Microsoft to bring that in because you think about consoles. Consoles are a lot of times getting to the cost of a cell phone and. You know, maybe not top of the line Apple or uh, or iPhone, but they are getting up there. So giving the people the the option to finance it out is brilliant. I, I agree, and the extra part they actually did that purchase program on the current Xboxes. It just wasn't well publicized. The thing there is is that included with the monthly price of those that it's essentially a zero percent, no money down loan. Yeah, it is. And, and, and Microsoft is not making money off of the loan. There is no percentage on those. What is included with that is Game Pass. So you're not only getting a console, you're getting access to a library of 200 plus games, which most of them cycle through on a regular basis, but all of the Microsoft first party titles are always there day one, and yeah. they will not go away from the service. And that's super compelling. Yeah, well, I'm used I'm to not, like the like the console manufacturers. It's like, hey, you know, we'll take a hit on the, you know, the, you know, we pay a certain amount to manufacture this, and we're going to take a hit on the profits just to get in people's homes. This is the ultimate way to get their console into people's homes. Yeah, yep. because cause on the current consoles, uh, you said that it also in, it included Game Pass, but it also included Xbox Live Gold. And yes. I did the math one day to figure it all out. When you add in the price of the console plus the cost of two years for Game Pass and two years for Xbox uh, Live Gold, you are actually saving $100 over the two years for all the services and the console. So Yes, it, and it, you're getting a more appropriately sized controller. 
I'm not going there with you. <laughs> o- only because I, I I use the scuff controller. See, look at look at what I'm using now. Okay, it's basically uh-huh. the same thing. It's got the thumbsticks in the right in the right location, and it's basically the same size. Tricky doesn't um, want to admit that he's following your lead there, Jeff, but he clearly is because that console is or that that controller is getting closer to an Xbox controller. It, it basically it, well, is an Xbox controller. Um, a controller design. Aside, the price point is super impressive. And when you think about the Series S, keep in mind that one of the aspects of every console ever made is that over time, the console manufacturer has the ability to re-engineer the motherboard to reduce chip count, to combine circuitry onto, onto less and less chips to reduce the price point. The Series S will drop from, was it 299, 399? I think it's 299, the yeah, low end one. Yeah, same as a Switch. Yeah, the Series S will drop from 299 to 199 to 149 to 99 very quickly. I'm sure Microsoft already has the schematics drawn out for the chip reduction redesign of those. And if and we're already starting with a with a console that is using lower end components than the high end console, which means that there's going to be more commodity pieces that they can combine farther down the line. The Series S is probably going to drop in price, in my estimation, faster than an optical driveless PS5 will be able to drop at the same at the same rate. And so Microsoft, I think, has laid the groundwork, especially with the purchasing plan, including Game Pass, including Xbox Live, to maybe not win the 4K HDR wars, but to win the number of people that have this console. And one of the reasons I like Xbox, and granted, I haven't looked at a modern PlayStation. We only, we all live on budgets. We all have a certain amount of But one of the things I like about the modern Xbox is it's also for me and for my two girls, the best media center we could ever look for. It does over the air TV with a guide. It does Netflix, it does Disney Plus, it does Hulu, it does Amazon Prime, it does CBS News, it does, I believe, ESPN. Um, The apps there for us to just use that with one media remote for a TV and get all of the inputs we want is, is a phenomenal price point advantage and it's a phenomenal device with which to do so gotta have access to that carnival row not for the kids no 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 no. alright just in the interest of time moving on uh, Yield do you have any quickly want to say anything about all this no okay (laughs) Yield still watches his football game no it's over now but the Lions already won or I'm sorry the Lions already lost yeah all right. Are you watching Washington sports team? No. Who ironically uh, started off with a Redskins uh, battle cry song at the beginning of their game. And I heard the color commentators at least called them Redskins one and a half times. <laughs> All right. So the next thing we have is the Ubisoft forward came out. Uh, everything that was announced. Uh, we got updates on Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs Legion, Far Cry 6, and the really 
The newly renamed Immortals Phoenix Rising, which used to be Gods and Monsters, in case you didn't know. We're also going to get a Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. That's going to come out January 21st, 2021. Uh, we are getting a re-release of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which a lot of people are very happy about. That that got the biggest pop that I saw from the Ubisoft forward was Scott Pilgrim coming back. <laughs> Jeff shaking his head. Jeff, why are you shaking your head? Well, because one, Skull and Bones was nowhere to be seen. They said, well, they, two, they did announce before the show that they, it's being reworked, and that's why it, why it wasn't shown. It's been reworked. It's what are we going on four or five years now? Yeah, um, it's it, I've, I've forgotten about it already. Right, and let's not lose focus on the fact that there is a gigantic upper level management shakeup going on at Ubisoft because of some pretty severe allegations, which the entire gaming industry is dealing with. Of sexual misconduct. All right. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is coming holiday this year for the PS4, Xbox, uh, Switch, and Stadia. Uh, we got a new... Uh, I honestly I thought this was uh, another Charles Fusion game, but we got Riders Republic. Go check that out. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, we got a Sam Fisher trailer. Uh, some updates for Honor Resistance. Uh, an update on Just Dance 2021. Far well, if you from- watch the free show. Yes. Uh, Far Cry, I didn't watch the pre-show. Far Cry is getting a VR mode. Monster Prom. Uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint's getting an update. Uh, the Crew 2 is turning uh, is start, starting their seasons, and that's going to start coming out on uh, November 25th. So uh, I didn't want to go too deep into all of those because uh, if you're interested in any of those titles, you can just go look it up. Uh, there's really not much we can say about it because most of those games we don't play or the games that we're interested in uh, haven't been released yet. Well, there was no Rayman, no talk of Rayman, and also nothing about Beyond Good and Evil. Beyond Good and Evil is in the same category as Skull and Bones. It just they, it was announced years ago, and now it just sort of is in this weird vaporware zombie state. It's almost like they announced it because people were crying out for it so much, but after they announced it, they realized they had no idea how to carry it out. I agree 100%. All right, the next topic we're going to go into, I was originally going to skip it, but I left it in the agenda after we missed last week's show because I thought it would be interesting to get Jeff's uh, perspective on this whole thing because obviously we've talked this to death. We're talking about the Epic Games versus Apple Dilemma. Oh, okay. Jeff put down his wine glass for this. <laughs> uh, I, was in the middle, I was in the middle of taking a drink. I'm like, uh, okay. Okay, so, right. so the headline reads, Epic Games asked the court once more to reinstate Fortnite to Apple's App Store after daily iOS users dropped by over 60%. Now, Jeff, I'm going to tell you our stake on this. We kind of feel like Epic is being the assholes in this situation. Uh, but I do understand... I, and I, as I've read more about this, I'm kind of feeling like it's Apple that's being the assholes in this situation. And Google to some extent. First off, full disclosure, I know and am good friends with at least a dozen people that work at Epic. I do not use the Unreal Engine on a daily basis. My friends do not give me any information that anyone else does or does not have. Um, For the most part, we don't even talk about this. I believe Epic fully understood where they would end up at this point in time when they raised, when they released the Fortnite 
update that allowed V-Bucks to be purchased outside of the Apple and the Google ecosystems. Um, Tim Sweeney was completely telegraphing their plans months ahead of time. He has raised again and again the specter of Apple is monopolistic in regards to taking a 30% rev share from anything that goes on the App Store. Uh, I think it's very interesting that the same week that this started and Fortnite got yanked off of the App Store, that the story came out that WordPress, web hosting WordPress, and it gets a little convoluted here, but there are two avenues to WordPress. There's corporate WordPress and there's open source WordPress. And open source WordPress has an App Store app that allows you to, to manage your WordPress website. Corporate WordPress sells domains, web domains. Right, and just just for clarification, Proven Gamer is on a WordPress uh, free source. It came out that Apple halted any publication of open source WordPress manager website app on the App Store until they added the ability to buy domains, which was nothing to do with this software, so that Apple could get 30% rev share off of domain purchases. That's monopolistic. Whether or not buying V-Bucks should be 30% rev share to Apple or not is completely muddied by the fact that Apple had a deal with Amazon for Kindle books. Now, granted, the second Jobs died, that deal got reneged upon, but you used to, it, it was allowed that you could buy Kindle books without paying 30% rev share to Apple. Epic is fighting the fight of why do we have to why do we have to give them 30% on top of things? I think they know where they are. I think they are absolutely correctly portraying that Apple is monopolistic. I think it's very interesting that the same day that this all happened with Apple and it dropped, that the same thing happened with Google, and it came out that Google forced OnePlus, or excuse me, one to not release a version of Fortnite specifically designed for the OnePlus cell phones to support their 90 megahertz displays because it was going to circumvent Google forcing people to buy Fortnite V-Bucks through the Play Store. That's kind of gotten brushed under the rug because the Apple thing is a bit more important. Um, I knew the minute that Apple announced that they were going to rescind all Unreal dev accounts, including those for the Unreal Engine, that the judges involved in this case were not going to view that lightly because that is retaliatory. And they, the judges reacted the exact way I thought they would, which is you don't get to do that part because that, that actually harms other small companies, other big companies that aren't at all directly involved with this. The removal of Fortnite, the removal of using Apple One to log into Fortnite accounts, the 60% drop in Fortnite accounts, I don't believe any of this is a shock to the upper echelon of Epic. I believe they understand where this all was going. I believe they didn't actually, and again, my personal opinions, I don't believe Epic did this until they calculated that they were past peak Fortnite like we say peak oil, I think they realized that they were probably on the backside of for new Fortnite subscriptions and they did this. I believe they are in fact going to come out on top of this and you are going to see a major shift in what the revenue share on mobile devices is. 
This is the same thing as Nintendo charging royalty rates to get ca uh, cartridges produced in the late 80s after the game crash. And that being taken apart, this is the same thing as EA and other companies breaking the Sega, uh, we called it the Genesis, the Europeans called it the Mega Drive, breaking the Genesis uh, cartridge lockout and making their own cartridges, circumventing Sega's uh, royalty rate in the early 90s and again late 80s. Uh, I, think, I think ultimately Epic is going to come out on top in all of this. See, and I, I, I know this only because I have an Android phone. When I wanted mm -hmm. to put Fortnite onto my phone, I had to download an Epic app first yep. and then go into that app to actually download Fortnite. I don't know if that's the same thing on, on iOS, which I'm assuming it is. But my question to you, and, and again, you probably just covered it, but just to be clear, mm -hmm. uh, we have a Proving Gamer app that we have, and it's only available on Android right now because we paid the developer price for app or for Google, and we were able to put it on on the uh, Play Store. The reason it's not on iOS is because we have to pay ninety nine dollars for a developer license a year to release a free app, and if we ever decided to sell anything, which we sell merchandise through. Uh, uh, you know, our Twitch streams and stuff like that, we would have to give Apple a percentage of that money. So we decided... 30%. Well, I, don't, I, I didn't look at the percentage because I'm, I'm actually working with an app developer to get it out there. He never actually told me the percentage, but I believe it is 30%. That's why we're not there. It's because it, it, we, we paid one-time fee to, to Google and, said, and Google said, all right, here's your app. Go sell whatever you want. We're not taking a cut of it. Apple, completely different. You have to pay us $99 a year to release your free app on the store, and if you make any sales through the app, we get a percentage of it. And I was like, that's bullshit. Yes, so, and, the, and the WordPress story comes back around to WordPress was offering that app without sales, and then Google denied it, and or sorry, Apple denied it, and said, we will not re-release this until you add the ability for the domain sales. So drawing a parallel to that, it would be like Apple coming back to you a year from now after your app's been out there on the Apple Store and being like, we're going to remove this until you add the ability for people to buy your merch through your phone app, in which case you will only get 70% of the revenue you have been getting from people buying your merch on the website. And that is where the monopolistic argument comes into play completely. Okay. I think one of the reasons people have, I think one, I'm sorry, I think one of the reasons the whole legal aspect of this is centered on Epic versus Apple and not Epic versus Google is because Android phones allow you, if you know what you are doing, to sideload apps outside of the Google ecosystem. Correct. Apple phones don't allow that at all. Yeah, because there's a couple apps that I've downloaded on my phone where I had that I was downloaded directly from said website. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to go in and check a setting that says allow unknown app to be installed. Yep. Uh, so, and I, yeah, that and that's part of the reason why when uh, everybody asks me why do I have an Android phone over an iPhone is because I, I always say Apple's too restricting. They, they, they don't allow, you have to work in their ecosystem 
or you can't do it where Google and Android allows you says, okay, go design something and we'll work with you to get it out there. That's the difference to me. Yes. And you and I can put Microsoft xCloud on our Android phones and have one app and have access to whatever library of games we get for paying for Game Pass. Android stopped Microsoft developing that on and on Apple phones on iOS about two or three months ago. And just this week, they published new rules that they thought would help with this instance. But what they won't allow is a catalog app that any Apple user on their phone can go to and pick the game they want to play. They want Microsoft to provide individual applications for every Game Pass available game in the Apple Store. That is an insurmountable goal for anyone, especially with a service like Game Pass, where games come and go over time. Updating one catalog app is one thing. Keeping a catalog of 200 to 300 different Apple phone apps up to date and removing them and adding them as necessary is, in a word, ridiculous. And Microsoft has already said that the new rules really don't change anything. And that, that it, and I would guess it probably won't change anything with regards to xCloud being available on iPhone devices. All right. Uh, Alex and Neil, do you want to chime in on this at all? Well, I mean, it, we kind of have talked about this on the show over and over again. It's nice to get Jeff's take. The only kind of initial, like one of my first things was Epic was, you know, talking about Apple being a monopoly. And one of the things I brought up was that Epic is um, partly owned by Tencent. 10%. Which is, which is a Chinese company, which is essentially, essentially a monopoly over there. So I, that's one of the things that I found kind of funny was them call, like basically point out that Apple is trying to be in a monopoly when they're kind of in bed with a monopoly. Not here in the U.S., but at least in another country. Is it does Tencent own any part of uh, not well not Volition but THQ or uh, not not that I know of. Although Tencent owns ten percent of a lot of and things. If you want to talk about interesting. Not necessarily monopolistic, but playing both sides against the middle arguments. Tencent owns both the stake in Epic and therefore Fortnite, and also uh, the PUBG Corporation, which which, which had their big legal battles, <laughs> which also licenses Unreal. So Tencent is making money left and right on which which major battle royale game does well, uh, which has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, Tencent <laughs> isn't. Tencent isn't necessarily a monopoly, and let's keep in mind, there's nothing about U.S. law that states a monopoly is bad. The only problem is when a monopoly, when when a company that has a monopoly uses their monopolistic position to prevent other companies from existing in the space, that it becomes a problem. But that- and so. I, I, Tencent may or may not be a monopoly in China. I am not sure. But by U.S. law, being a monopoly in and of itself is not a problem. Using that to bludgeon competition out of existence is where we really start to bring down the legal banhammer. And I believe that is a correct position. And with monopolies in the United, as far as the United States are concerned, the reason they are, quote unquote, frowned upon is because once you're a monopoly, you can then set the market price for said item, which is why, yes. like, 
just recently uh, when Sprint and T-Mobile merged, it had to go through a legal system to find out if they were going to be too much of a monopoly that they can then start dictating cell phone plans and prices and stuff like that. That's, to me, I mean, as far as, far as my understanding, that's why monopolies are frowned upon is because they don't want one company to be able to set the market price for everybody else. Yep. Yep. All right. Yul, do you have anything you want to ask about this? Nope. Thanks for contributing, Yul. Because he's watching the game. <laughs> All right. The next thing we have. What's the, wait, what's the score? Give us a score update on the game in air quotes. Oh, no. They got beat. It, it's been over for a while. All right. So the next topic we have is Division 2 is adding a 104 skyscraper PvE endgame mode. Uh, in, in itself, that's just news for me. But being that Jeff's here, I thought it added a perspective on saying uh, when you release a game, obviously the DLC and the updates and whatnot is what keeps people coming back to the game and whatnot. And I don't want, I don't want to talk about Saints Row directly, but as a developer, do you guys ever feel the need to change up what you're doing to add a new perspective to your games? I guess I, I didn't even phrase that right. I don't even know how to phrase this right. Basically, are you trying to ask like with, with Go, what uh, Ghost of Tsushima is doing, where they initially focused on these like the single player story aspect of it, and then later on they're adding in a co-op online multiplayer? kind of like changing up the way you play the game is that what you're asking <laughs> I, I, I don't i games as a service is something i don't have a lot well no that's not true games as a service is something i have a lot of experience in from the early 90s it's not something i have a lot of experience in in modern day if Division 2 wants to add whatever they want to add to the end of the game, that's Ubisoft's decision, and it, it'll it work or it won't work, and that's up for the market to decide. I think a 104-story skyscraper battle is effing ridiculous. Uh, I just posted in the Skype chat a silhouette comparison of the tallest buildings in Shanghai, China. Okay. And I will tell you flat out, I have been to the second one and the third one. I have looked at the first one while it was being constructed. I haven't been there since it was finished. The second one we call the the disposable razor. And I the, that crossbar across the top, I have been to the bar that's in that crossbar. I have been to the observation tech in the in the Jin Mao Tower. Every time I went to Shanghai, there was another taller building. Would I want to play a game where I have to find people somewhere in 104 stories? No, I absolutely wouldn't. Because, you know, the most boring part of visiting any of those buildings was the elevator ride to the top. Okay, to, to be clear, the, the 100 floors in the division, the way they're doing it is they're breaking it down. Uh, by 10 floors. You start off on the easiest setting on the on the first floor, and obviously the 100th floor to be the hardest. For every 10 floors you do, you unlock a permanent checkpoint that once you have completed that checkpoint, you can go back to it any time. So the object is to do 100 floors, but in no way, shape, or form is it like saying you have to do 100 floors right now. 
Oh, so it's like it's like the uh, it's like the mine in Stardew Valley. Every five levels I went down, I was able to get an elevator to go right back to that level. Correct. So it's not a hundred. It's not a hundred and four floors. It's ten floors plus four that I could digest at a given point in time. Correct. But yeah. my but still the, the reason ten floors every that's that's a hundred vertical feet. <laughs> Depending on the size of the floors, that's a lot of stairs to traverse, either realistically or virtually. I don't know that that I would find that personally compelling. But but the question I'm at, I want to ask you, and kind of Alex kind of tossed off, is like, obviously the division is a games for service and whatnot, and obviously the PvP is what pushes the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that they're releasing this hundred for. Uh, PVE mode is like it's changing up what content we would expect from a games for service because obviously a games for service you want the PVP aspect. So is there ever any pressure on a developer to turn around and say, and I'm I'm gonna use Saint Row as an example, but I don't want you to speak to that. Like, do they turn around and say, okay, we made Saint Row where you were the president? Mm-hmm. Like, do they ever? come to you guys and say, is there any pressure you guys turn around and say, okay, we can't go with the president story anymore. We have to completely shift that his time after office. Like, not what we were playing, now we're given a whole different story. 100% in that specific instance, 100% yes. Because while it's not necessarily known and it wasn't well received, Agents of Mayhem Fantastic game, by the way. Thank you very much, uh, especially after we got all the patches out on it. Uh, Agents of Mayhem is, by hook or by crook, one of the possible continuations from one of the possible endings of Saint Rose Row 4. So you're confirming that uh, Agents of Mayhem is a Saint Rose story? <laughs> it's It's got purple fleur-de-lis all over it. <laughs> Well, Draw your own conclusions. Well, well, what one of the biggest things that was coming out when the Ages of Mayhem was coming out was saying this is essentially what Saints Row, uh, this is essentially a Saints Row game. That was one of the criticisms that you uh, just gave it a different name. Not going there with you right now. <laughs> just, um, I'm just breaking balls. But it is in fact a continuation of one of the possible endings of Saints Row Four, where we blow up the Earth. And if you ever want to think of a narrative situation that is hard to write yourself out of, blowing up the earth is one of them. <laughs> it's definitely a, an end result. Yes. Yes. Uh, That's all we're going to say about that. Right now. Just take it to the moon. Let's all go to the moon. <clears throat> well, and as somebody pointed out this week, when the news about the next Fast and the Furious movie came out, yet again, the next Fast and Furious movie has been predicated previously by a Saints Row game. <laughs> I never really thought about that. Right. We did firing the gun on the tank to direct yourself in the air before the movie The A-Team did. That's probably one of the only memorable scenes from that movie. Hey, A-Team uh, was a good movie. Yes, it's about the only scene we know of. A-Team was a good movie. G.I. Joe movie. Which was hideous. All right, I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to move on just because I see we're getting a little long-winded. We still have to uh, do three more segments. 
and I haven't played one. <laughs> ad. I haven't done all the ads I was supposed to do. Uh, this is news for Alex and Yield and Homer, uh, as long as any other Rocket League player. Rocket League going is going free to play, and as part of this new initiative, Psyonix will no longer pl- make PlayStation Plus or Nintendo Switch Online subscription mandatory for online play. Notice that I did not say Xbox Live. So, I was going to ask, can you can you call something free to play if you're like with a game like Rocket League? I mean, most of the content is in on- online games. Can you call it free to play if you have to? If you have to own a <laughs> subscription service in order to play online, well, I I don't want to bring up old old shit, but this is yes. what this is one of the criticisms that Xbox got back when you needed Xbox Live to use Netflix on your console. So, that's a fair question. It is. I could buy Sea of Thieves outright, but I don't. I continue to pay the monthly subscription for Game Pass which includes Sea of Thieves as part of the purchase price. So I would say to me, Sea of Thieves is free because it's included with what I'm paying for for a massive library of games, which let's be honest, my 13 and 15 year old use far more than I do right now, but they love the fact that there is a gigantic selection of games they can pick from. So you you personally don't have a problem with Xbox Live being required to play Rocket League, which is a free to play game. I don't. I don't. Okay. Why? I mean, Microsoft has to run servers. They have to pay internet backbone providers. Why? I, the game is free, but the ability to play multiplayer isn't necessarily free. But you're also talking to somebody who cut his chops in this industry at a time when playing a game on the Genie service was six ninety five an hour. So how, how do you feel about a game like, okay, not to you know talk about uh, Key Come Back to Division, but Division 2, uh, it's required to be online to play the game. Should mm-hmm. games like that be required that you should bypass Xbox Live Gold and PlayStation Plus? Because you still need those to play those games even though they're online required. Shouldn't those games get the pass and say, okay, you don't need Plus or Gold to play this game? If they were able to connect their own networking services, we could have that discussion. But they're not allowed to. They have to go through what the SDKs on both of those platforms provide. Okay, you have to explain that for the people that don't understand what you just said. Okay. Also tricky because Tricky didn't want to make it seem like he doesn't know what you're talking about. I was literally about to say because I have no idea what he just said. Okay. (laughs) If I write a game for the Xbox or for the PlayStation, I have to use the programming libraries that are provided to me by either of those companies. Those programming libraries will include network infrastructure. There is no, there's no provision in either of those systems for me to say, I am going to just run my own network backbone on this game. I have to use the networking applications and interfaces provided by either the Xbox development kit APIs or the PlayStation development kit APIs. Those APIs are more than likely going to direct my internet traffic through servers controlled by either of those platform holders, Microsoft or Sony. 
if I'm using their hardware, if I'm using their network bandwidth, and they want to charge to cover their costs on that, then to me personally, that's acceptable. If I want to write a game where I don't have to do any of that, and I want to provide my own networking infrastructure, then I have every right to write a PC game and put it out on Steam. Okay. Or just release it on the web. I don't know. I see because, like, with the division, you could play the game solo or you could play multiplayer. Obviously, the multiplayer is the driving point that keeps the game going. Yes. But if I want to run the division by myself, it's frustrating that I can't do that without internet. I agree. And is it also fair to play? Say, is it fair to say that the new Trackmania? is a free game when I have to install Uplay just to access it, even though I can download it from Steam or the Epic Game Store? I mean, that's a fair point as well. I don't know. I just... See, like, it, it just frustrates me. I mean, I, I know this is a first-world problem, and I've said this on the show many times. I have uh, what has been effectively started being called my work PlayStation 4. Where I uh, have... You started that. You're the one who started <laughs> It's still been started, though. It's been started. Um, I have a PlayStation 4 Pro in a games case that I keep in my locker at work. So, uh-huh. so when That's I have super, downtime... Super I, ghetto. I, <laughs> Which is every day. <laughs> so when I have downtime, I play you know games. But I can't play certain games. Like I can't play Division. I can't play uh, Breakpoint. Um, I, and so it's frustrating that I can't play those games without an internet connection but then it led me to the belief of like well if I can only play this online I shouldn't have to pay an extra cost to Sony or Microsoft and in, in this case it's Sony to access online That that's always been a driving like that's been a frustration of mine just because if you're making a game even like the new Call of Duty that they didn't even release a single player campaign it was multiplayer only that I, I shouldn't have to buy the game or and then have to pay another fee, you know, well, monthly. Most people do it yearly. But essentially, monthly to play that game when I've already dropped my $60 on that game. Netflix allows you to download certain movies and shows to watch offline. Correct. In order to do so, you have to verify with Netflix that you are, in fact, a user and allowed to do so. Are you saying that Netflix should just allow any rando to download a series and watch it offline? That's different. That's 100% no, different. No, it's not. How is no, that not, not different? You're authenticating with the content provider to prove to them that you are, in fact, a paying customer and allowed to do what they are offering. Think back to 2005. Everyone hated Steam because Steam was nothing more than an online-only authentication service that you needed to play Vampire the Masquerade. There was no store yet. Right. People hated it because you had to have an internet connection to verify that you were, in fact, allowed to play Vampire the Masquerade. This is just the evolution of DRM. Is DRM good? I'm not in a position to say yes or no on that because, honestly, my livelihood is predicated on people not pirating games. Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Um, But being able to prove 
that I am in fact the person that has purchased this game, so therefore I should be allowed to play this game, is not an un. It's it's not really an unexpected ask. Okay. I. I I have nothing else. All right, let's let's well, go. Well, I find it funny, and this this can be the last thing before we move on. But okay. Rocket League has kind of been the testing grounds for some people's patience when it comes to the content providers. Because if you remember, when everyone else kind of went, or at least Microsoft went crossplay with um, Rocket League and and a few other games, Sony was the one holding that up. And now we have Nintendo and Sony saying, "Well, you don't need, or you, it's come out that you know PlayStation Plus and Nintendo Online are not needed to play Rocket League." On multiplayer on their consoles and Microsoft is the one kind of saying hey you still need a, a subscription to our service I, and I will agree that that is a bit of a disconnect in everything and you are right Microsoft had led the charge for crossplay. play uh, I think more in a PR stance than anything else um, but you're also talking to somebody who his first job in the industry was working on a game that allowed for EGA PCs, EGA and above PCs, Commodore Amigas, Color Macintoshes, and Atari STs to all play together in one arena, that the concept that we are in 2020 discussing crossplay as some sort of technological achievement is 100% bullcrap. That we knew how to do this 30 plus years ago and people have just decided not to. Um, charging for the ability to play online, whether it's with people of the same console type or not, is an open point of discussion. I will give you that. Well, and, and you know, you mentioned that it's kind of a, a disconnect. You use the word disconnect there, and it's it's crazy because Microsoft, to be honest, with all of their focus on services and infrastructure, they and you know the new pricing structure for their new Xbox. And how they position it against Sony seems very in touch with the way a lot of people consume media these days. Yes. So. Yes, I am. I am very interested to see what the Sony presentation is because the price point of their true consoles actually will be a decent thermometer about how in touch they in fact are. Yeah. Ho hopefully, they didn't go back to the days of the PS3 when they launched that and. And finally, I, I think that's where they're at. The success of the PS4 doesn't make them lose sight of where they are and kind of slip back so to you, those. So you, but you, historically in console generations, that's always the case. Whoever won the previous generation tends to have blinders about what needs to be done for the upcoming generation, and that opens the door for the console that may or may not even have been competitive the previous generation. And let's be honest. You can you can show all the numbers you want to show me that Xbox wasn't the winner in the previous generation. If Xbox wasn't positive on the profit loss statement and wasn't increasing revenues for Microsoft, we wouldn't be talking about the Series X and Series S. That's just that's just the nature of the game. But it opens up the ability for the quote underdog from the previous generation to capture hearts and minds. And it has flip flopped like that since the days of the Atari VCS, the ColecoVision, the NES, the NES, the the N64. It's just the way the fickle public deals with things. All right, last thing before we move on. Uh, Yield, you said something 
so you believe the PlayStation 5 is going to be $600? Uh, they're not going to match Microsoft's price because they're going to sit there and they're going to tout the fact that they've got a game library better than Xbox. You're going to pay things they might Go ahead. They might deal with the $600 price because attach rate is a very positive thing that has always used well it always historically has been tracked on consoles. You buy the console, and then before the console hits the break-even point, the user has to buy X number of games. Attach rate has generally been three to five games. I think xCloud and Game Pass change that calculation, and I'm not sure Sony is ready to deal with the algebra that Microsoft has introduced with that regard. All right. Well, let's move on here, and because... Uh, we're getting a little... We're an hour and a half right now, so... We are proud supporters of Extra Life. Extra Life is a charity organization to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. You can make a team, join a team, or play by yourself for your local hospital. Every year, we do a 24-hour, sometimes 25-hour, marathon to raise money. This year, it's November 7th. Be sure to stop by extra-life.org to check out how you can join and help out. If you want to join our team, just look for the Proven Gamer team when registering. Even if you join a team, you will personally will still be raising money for the hospital you choose. If you would like to donate to us, go to tinyurl.com backslash provengamer2020 and you can search for our team members there to donate to their page. Play games, heal kids. God, those, those ads are such amateur hour. Well, I, I got good news. I, I, I found a solution for the ad, so hopefully uh, in episode 450 or 451, we're going to be debuting new ads. All right, so for our topic of the week... Uh, there's been a little confusion uh, as far as Ubisoft and the PlayStation 5. Uh, the headline reads, Ubisoft support page muddles PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 backwards compatibility question. This uh, quote comes from Ubisoft's page, which has now have been updated to not reflect the, one of the lines. And this uh, article comes from? This article is coming from IGN, and it is written by Jonathan Dornbush. According to Ubisoft's page, uh, transition in PlayStation 4 titles to next-gen versions. The question was, how does upgrading from PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5 work? The answer by Ubisoft says, as part of, of their next-gen update process, PlayStation offers a number of features designed to help you move from PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5. PlayStation 4 players will be able to join multiplayer games with PlayStation 5 players. Backwards compatibility will be available for supported PlayStation 4 titles, but will not be possible for PlayStation 3, PlayStation 2, or PlayStation games. The last line is the one that's been removed from the page. Uh, we also have information on the next gen for the Xbox Series X. So, a lot of people are hearing this from that page and saying that the PlayStation 5 will not be compatible with the PS3, PS2, and PS1 games. I read this personally as Ubisoft is not making it available for their games. This I, this is definitely open for interpretation. So, the question is, we only have confirmed right now that the PlayStation, some PlayStation 4 titles are going to be compatible with the PlayStation 5 as far as backwards compatibility. Is this a confirmation? Is this a still speculation? And bottom line, just... Uh, not my question. Sony needs to come out and fully clarify this and find out, tell people exactly what's going on. Well, Sony needs to clarify a lot when it comes to the PlayStation 5. 
but I mean, we talked about previously on the show, like playing old older games through the cloud. Now they may only be able to put Sony games on that, like on a service for PlayStation Now on games that they made for the PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three. But as we go further and further into this, I think Sony's not clarifying because Sony doesn't have a good solution for backward compatibility. And the best thing they might be able to do is have us stream older games, not necessarily games that we own back in the day, but stream older games on their servers and then have them, you know, play through our console, our TV. Is, is that even possible, Jeff? I mean, we, we heard a lot with uh, PlayStation 3 that with the cell processor, they couldn't do backwards compatibility with the PlayStation 4 because of the architecture and the hardware and stuff like that. Is it even possible to, to release an online service where we're streaming those games? Is it possible? Yes. Is it is it monetarily positive? I don't know. Um, I don't know the specs of the PS5, um, but it's not it's not on it's it's not a stretch to imagine that the PS5 is an extenuation of the PS4. The Xbox New Series X and S is a continuation of the Xbox One. Both of those consoles hew far closer to your standard von Neumann architecture of a PC than previous architectures, minus the original Xbox, which was essentially a PC. The Xbox 360, in the entire history of Xboxes, is the outlier because it was power PC-based and not x86-based. Does that make backwards compatibility easier or harder? Well, honestly, in terms of one platform, in terms of the Microsoft platform, backwards compatibility for Xbox 360 games is the outlier because Xbox One, Xbox, Xbox Series X or S all share a common architecture. They all share a common processor architecture, x86. PlayStation gets a lot more muddy in that regard. I am not sure exactly what a PS1 or a PS2 had in terms of CPU architecture. At the times that those consoles came out, I was devoted entirely to MMO development on the PC platform. I know that the PS3 is super obscure in terms of cell processor. I know the PS4 hues pretty closely to a PC in terms of CPU and GPU. I am not exactly completely understanding of what a PS5 is with regards to that. I would assume it is an extension of the PS4, which makes it more PC-based than not PC-based, which makes backwards compatibility prior to the PS4 questionable. But Sony bought Gaikai from Dave Perry many, many years ago, which makes streaming of games onto any available platform in terms of backwards compatibility a possible avenue with which to do so. But I also know that any modern PC can emulate a Commodore 64, can emulate an NES, an SNES, a Nintendo 64, a Wii, a Wii U. Converting these various CPU architectures into instructions that a modern CPU architecture can in fact execute within a reasonable time frame isn't a hard problem right now. Whether or not Ubisoft allows that is an entirely different argument from whether or not it's technologically feasible. So when when it comes to backwards compatible games, is it really up to the developer whether or not that game is going to be backwards compatible on a system? 
or is that uh, that Sony? That in, well, that you could go either way in that discussion. I don't. I am not at the level within any gaming company to understand the actual contracts struck between a publisher and the platform holder. It may be that in the publishing are the uh, contract for any given game, that future backwards compatibility accomplishments are a feature of the platform holder, not of the publisher, or it may go the other way. I am completely in the dark about any of that. I could see it going either way. I could see it being one of those things where money talks, and if a publisher doesn't want it, then it doesn't happen. If a publisher does want it, then it does happen. Okay. Uh, now, Yield, I'm going to ask you this, because uh, we've had this discussion many times. I mean, obviously, we've been doing the show since the PS3 days, uh, and one of the biggest uh, crutches with the PlayStation 4 is we always talk about backwards compatibility. Is this important to you, Yield, that we have backwards compatible back to these systems? No. No. It's, 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 it's nice, but I, I still have my, like I always said, I still have my older systems. I'll play them on those systems. I mean, it's nice. That's what a lot of the people want, and that's the, the chord that Microsoft has struck with their ability to do that and Sony's inability to straightforward answer the question is hindering them. See, Jeff, one of the common things we get from the show and from our audience is that none of us buy the next-gen system to play the old games. And I agree with that. But, and I, I, am, I come from an era where when the Atari 5200 came out, it didn't, it didn't play VCS slash 2600 games. When the 7800 came out, you couldn't slot a 5200 cartridge into it. And SNES didn't take an NES cartridge. But I also came from an era where consoles included a pack-in game, which doesn't happen anymore either. Times change, opinions change. I think that in this day and age, especially when you're looking at what's available on Steam, what's available on the Epic Store, what's available on Uplay, what's available on Origin, uh, not in any particular order, but probably in descending order from what I just said, <laughs> backwards compatibility is something people are interested in. Do I want to play Stardew Valley sometime now or in the future? Yes. Do I want to play Kerbal Space Program sometime from now or into the future? Yes. On the PC that is under Windows, that is 100% acceptable and allowable and will be will be will be considered and accommodated should i be allowed the the same ability to play viva piñata whenever i want regardless of which xbox forward of the 360 i have i think yes that is something that should be allowed is it endemic on the platform holder to continue to update those games for modern platform architectures or allow backwards compatibility, that's a decision they need to make. But I think, I mean, let's 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 draw a parallel here that's been drawn with games for a long time. I could, if I wanted to, and if I had the means, I could purchase a film print of the first Emmy award-winning movie, Wings, and I could find a projector in the US and I could slot that film into that projector almost a hundred years after the fact, and I could watch that film. Should I be allowed to play the Atari VCS release of Pitfall on any platform moving forward? 
I would agree, yes, but I'm also a very big proponent for retro gaming and also for the preservation of the history of this industry. One of the things film has over games right now is the fact that the platform hasn't changed literally in hundreds of years. It's been modified, it's been added onto, but you could still find a projector to play a film from the 30s, from the 20s. Can I find a platform outside of emulation where I can slot in a cartridge from a 1978 release of Atari VCS game and play it? No, not really. But but strides are being made in that regard every day, and emulation is coming on strong in that regard. I think for the preservation of this industry, backwards compatibility is something that has to happen, that needs to happen. All right, Alex? I mean, I would certainly like it if, you know, well, I mean, it, with with movies, it's like, you know, you don't, it's not like a specific, like, a, it's not like video game console exclusives. Like, you can play any kind of movie on any kind of movie playing device, you know, as long as it's compatible, like Blu-ray or whatever. Games, it's it's not the same way. Um, I, I mean, I would like to see the future that Jeff talked about where it's, it's um, you know, you can play, you, you know, say you have this game um, and if you bought it or you purchased it, then you can play it on any any device, or you can play just it's very freely, however easily you would like to. But I also get Yield's argument that backwards compatibility doesn't matter to him personally. Like, I mean, I've got a Super Nintendo up in my room, and some of my favorite games on the Super Nintendo I have sitting right next to it, but I never play them because with you know my uh, like responsibilities within life and just you know new games coming out, like I just don't really necessarily have the time or the urge to cut like those into like a, a slot of my day or whatever so i feel like whenever i have the opportunity or like on previous consoles to play older games like a, a ps2 game on a, the original ps3 i didn't really take the opportunity so it's something that sounds really nice and it does you know matter to some people i don't think that you know microsoft took that step to you know, with backwards compatibility as sony's you know talking about it now i don't think it's coming out of nowhere i think there are a lot of people who want it for me, though, I see both sides to where Jeff's argument that we need to kind of preserve this industry. And, and, of course, if Jeff didn't want to preserve the industry, he should be working in it. It's clearly why he loves games and he has a passion for games is because he wants to, you know, the art form to be realized and is protected as other forms of media. And But I also get the, the thing where there are moments when it's like, it sounds like, yes, backwards compatibility is great. But also times when I realize, wait a minute. I've had the opportunity to use backwards compatibility before on other devices, and I just don't. So I, I think if they can make it happen, they absolutely should. But it doesn't mean that we, you know, who aren't interested, have to take take um, use of that or make use of that. And you know, maybe uh, Jeff talked about the strides being taken in the video game industry to be like more like film in certain areas. Going more digital, I'm sure, has helped that quite a bit. Because obviously, how many different types of physical media, not only in film, but also in video games, like the changing of generation to generation, it makes it harder when you're, you know, you're dealing with cartridges versus discs. So going digital is one way that most definitely they can help preserve the video game industry. And that's one way that they can make backwards compatibility a lot easier. Instead of, you know, oh, well, you have this PlayStation 1 disc. Well, let's come up with the technology to be able to put in this PlayStation One disc, and then later you can put a PlayStation Two disc in. See, when it when it comes to backwards compatibility, the only thing that matters to me 
at is convenience. Because, not that I think this would happen because of what, uh, how successful Rocket League is, but let's say they never make a PlayStation 5 version of Rocket League, and you guys eventually upgrade to the PlayStation 5. It'd be a major pain in the ass to have to disconnect your PlayStation 5 to hook up your PlayStation 4 just to do Rocket League Thursdays on Twitch.tv backslash Proven Gamer Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Cheap <laughs> pop. Um, yes. But, like, so it's it would, it would be convenient if you were able to play the PlayStation 4 version on your PS5. That's where, to me, it's just... It's not, it's not necessarily that I want to be able to play all my back games. It's that I want the ability that if I do want to, I can without having to disconnect one console to hook up another console. You know, that that's where yes. backwards compatibility matters to me. It's just the well, convenience well, your only of it. hope for that is digital. Is it having one for platform maker, an override, overarching profile and account that has all of your games on it? Well, see, I think, and I, I maybe I could be corrected on this. I think with Xbox, with their smart delivery service, that you could put in an Xbox One game into a Series X, and it just work. I I understand every one of your concerns, and it used to be, we're talking Nintendo sixty four era on, in terms of game development, why would you do an MMO on a console? Because the second that console generation ends, you either have to invest, you either have to invest the time to move that MMO to another console or you just kill it. And Fantasy Star Online from the Dreamcast era on has kind of bucked that trend, but it's always been out there. But it's only been recently where it, one, MMOs haven't really been the thing and games as a service have replaced MMOs, that backwards compatibility has been this thing that everyone sort of pays attention to. And being able to play Rocket League, regardless of whether or not it's upsampled or this or that, from the current generation to the next generation, is a very valid argument because that game isn't defined by the genre it's on, which again is something that historically hasn't been the case. Pitfall is pitfall because of Activision's ability to push the Atari VCS to areas that it wasn't designed for. You can name any number of NES and NES games, SNES games, that define themselves because the developers pushed that hardware farther than it was ever originally intended to be. The same for the N64, the Saturn, the Dreamcast, the Jaguar. But once you get beyond that point, once you get to the PS1, the original Xbox, that argument changes. And that pushing the hardware is one thing, but providing the game experience is far more important. And that was a huge step forward for this industry because we used to chase the hardware. Doom sold PCs because it was Doom. Quake sold PCs because it depended on what graphics card you got. But that has all been now distilled down to what's your frame rate in this game? Can you use ray tracing in this game? Does it matter if you need ray tracing in this game? Consoles have sort of mirrored that. 
the experience has now become far more important than the technological achievement. And that's why backwards compatibility is far more important now than it used to be. All right. Let's move on uh, because we have to get to our questions. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media feeds. Just look for Proving Gamer on Twitter and Facebook. Be sure to also join the Trophy Horse Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash TW podcast. In the group is where you can ask questions for us to answer on the show. You can also send us an email via the Troy Memorial email. That address is trophyhorse at provengamer.com. Or if you would rather leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 330-PROVEN-9. That's 330-776-8369. You can watch our videos on YouTube by doing a search for official Proven Gamer. You can also catch us streaming at twitch.tv backslash Proven Gamer. And you can catch Tricky streaming for Extra Life every Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv backslash Extra Life for Kids. Remember, that's the number four, not the word. All right, Jeff just showed us that his wine bottle is empty, so <laughs> so let's very get, much so. Let's get to the questions. Uh, I, I could tap the champagne bottle in the fridge. Considering you, uh, never mind. I'm not going to go there. That's a little personal information. I was going to say because you live in Champagne, <laughs> right? Uh, Levi's question: uh, Have you guys tried Wasteland Three yet? I don't think any of us have, but Jeff has, and he actually replied on the Facebook post. So, Jeff, tell us about Wasteland 3. Okay, first off, disclaimer. Wasteland 3 is published by Deep Silver, who owns Volition. So there's a little bias here. (laughs) No, there's not. I'm just putting the disclaimer up. I remember playing the original Wasteland on my Commodore 64 or my Amiga. I played Wasteland 2 because... I was given a code to it when it came out, and I enjoyed both of those games. I am not really enjoying Wasteland 3. It is, it's got bugs. Um, when your quick save, quick load feature is slower than your regular save, regular load feature, when characters get stuck in walls and just disappear, when the option to turn on and off subtitles has no effect on the game whatsoever, and you just get subtitles regardless, It's it affects the perception of the game. There's a decent story in there. There's a decent RPG element in there. I think the, the map traversal, once you leave a given area and have to use your vehicle to move from points to points within Colorado, and it's got this weird tilt shift, everything sort of in miniature mode, is a little bizarre and doesn't fit with everything else. Um, If you like the Wasteland series, I would say give it a shot. If you're new to the series, I would say start with at least Wasteland 2. If your ability to emulate is there, go back to the original Wasteland. Uh, But don't start your experience with Wasteland 3 because it won't be a positive experience. And just for the record, we don't, uh, we're not saying pirate the game. No, no, absolutely not. If you emulate the game, make sure that you can find it. You can certainly find a copy of the discs. I'm not. I'm sorry, not a copy. You can find someone selling the original discs for Wasteland 1 on eBay, and then you're perfectly allowed to emulate it on whatever platform you want. Wasteland 2 is available on the PC without a problem. Okay. 
I just wanted to clarify. Some, hey, uh, yes, thank you. Some people I was a bit vague. Some some people when you hear emulate, they go pirate it. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I do not do not promote that. But I do promote emulation for the ability to experience consoles that may have existed before you got into all of this, or for your ability to return to memories from your youth. All right. So the next question is from Jeff himself. He says, "Next question." Okay, that didn't get a laugh like I thought it was going to. Tricky. Tricky, I lost your voice. Tricky muted himself. I actually, I actually did hit the mute button. That's why you guys didn't get my joke. I said... <laughs> I'm not sure we would have gotten it anyway. Well, no, I said... <laughs> I, 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 I said the next uh, question comes from Jeff, who says, next question. No, you didn't say it that. You, know, you, say you should have kept that muted. Yes. Yeah. With proper <laughs> emphasis, it's next question. Uh, David says... Games y'all want to remake for the PlayStation 5 or Xbox, for him, it's Legacy of Cain series or MAG. Wow, MAG is a throwback. Uh, I mean, not really. That's what was a PS3 game? Yeah. That was supposed to be the next... Next uh, big shooter big game. shooter game. Am, am I correct? Was that the one that was supposed to match up with Eve, or am I thinking of a different game? Was MAG by Zombie... Let me look up Mag, because I know Mag stands for Massive Action Game. Yeah, but what? How many people did they want to have in that game? Was it 100 people? It was, I think, I think it was from Zombie, and I think it was 100 plus. I actually, I think it was 256. Let me look it up. I'm looking up right now. Uh, Mag was made by Zipper Interactive. Zipper, not Zombie. One of the Z's. Uh, it got shut down January 28th at 14. Uh, due to reliance on online to play, they shut down the server so you couldn't play it anymore. Uh, it was, yeah, Mag used a server architecture to support online battles up to 256 players, with users divided into eight player squads, with four squads forming a platoon, and four platoons forming a company. Each squad is led by a player who has advanced through the game's ranking system, and the character statistics and development also increased with freaking gameplay. The players assigned leadership positions are able to simultaneously direct the battle and participate directly in combat. So it, it sounds like it was a good game, a good idea with bad execution. Whoa, whoa! How is that possible? The composer for the game was Sebastian Bach. Yeah, uh, I think but you just answered hand. your own question. It's it sounds like no Skiro fans here. Come on, uh, it's, it sounds like Mag wanted to achieve what World of Tanks, World of Warplanes, War Thunder, World of Warships achieved 10 years later. You just spoke to Yield Heart. He loves World of Warships. Really? The Warships one? Yeah. Uh. That, that, that sounded like Jeff disagreed. Well, I guess, I guess World of Warplanes is the one that failed because War Thunder beat it to a bloody pulp. So warships is okay. All right. So back to the question: Which games do you want to see be see remade for the PlayStation Five or Xbox? Yield, you answered on the uh, the Facebook group, which is defeats the purpose of asking questions for us to answer on the show. But yield, your answer has always been and will continue to be Siphon Filter. Absolutely, that's an amazing game. To be Who fair, Jeff that? also answered on Facebook. I did. Yes. But well, see, when Jeff answers on these questions, I kind of think it's like he's trolling because it said blackjack for the Atari VCS. 
He's mentioned the Atari more times on this show I than know. we've ever had on any like number of episodes on Trophy Horse. Where else have you ever had a card game that you played with the paddle controller? Just to be clear, we're talking about like blackjack, like the casino game blackjack. Yes. Okay. I and we owned the cartridge, and my dad played that incessantly. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's better than going to casino and losing money. So yes. Jeff, are you going to say... Yes, I was, in fact, trolling. If I wanted to see a remake, I would say Pitfall, but Pitfall was already remade for the Atari... or I'm sorry, for the Sega Genesis, and it wasn't at all what the original game was. All right. Alex, I'm going to let you go because I'm kind of interested to see what Jeff's going to say about my answer. So, I will say... I'll say one for the Xbox and one for the PlayStation, and they'll both be connected. I want to see a remake of Twisted Metal Black because that was one of my favorite PlayStation 2 games. And quite frankly, I would just like them to see them take Twisted Metal in a positive direction because the PlayStation 3 game didn't do that as as excited as people were for it. But I I would like to see a remake of Twisted Metal Black. And then for the Xbox, uh, I would love to see them make a remake of Blood Wake simply because Twisted Metal but in boats sounded so cool to me back then. But the game itself didn't do super well. So, uh, yeah, Twisted Metal Black and Bloodwake. All right, and my answer is SOCOM, and I've said this on the show, but I think SOCOM in a Battle Royale type setting. Oh, jeez, you mm. lost me already. I know I, ha- I lost you, but I-, I actually have an idea further on the idea. Let's do SOCOM in a Battle Royale, but... Taking an idea from the recent Call of Duty Cold War announcement where they have a VIP mode where a a group of people have to get the VIP to uh, a location and if the VIP dies, the entire mission fails. Let's do SOCOM with a four-man battle team dropping in. You're the leader and your teammates are there to support you, but if you die, your entire squad is eliminated in a battle royale type game. I agree with a game that's designed from or redesigned from the ground up with Battle Royale, uh, hence Fall Guys. Clearly, where this industry went for a year or two trying to strap Battle Royale onto existing genres, Battlefield Five, <laughs> did not work and will not work. Um, and a lot of people thought that that concept of that genre died with PUBG and Fortnite, but it hasn't. It's just something that you can't react to. It's something that you have to deal with from day one of working on your game design. So, I mean, one of the one of the heavy rumors, not to keep bringing up the game, but is uh, a lot of people think that Division Two is going to, or that Massive and Ubisoft are going to release a battle royale type mode inside the Division. So, in your idea, that would just be a bad idea from the start. I think that that would be a reactionary move, and it will not pay the dividends that they're expecting it to pay. All right. Let's go ahead and close out the show. Uh, you don't want to know what 360 game, what Xbox game I would like to see redone? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, I would like to see a modern remake of Crimson Skies. Thank you. <laughs> wow, that was quick. Yield. <laughs> no, because I, I bought an Xbox for Halo and Crimson Skies. And Halo and Crimson Skies. And Crimson Skies on the original Xbox was outstanding. Crimson Skies on the PC of the era was equally as good, although it was an entirely different game. 
But the one thing it did that has been adapted on Xbox, which I still appreciate, is it had triggers in the game that would take screenshots of interesting things you were doing, and then at the end of your session, it would offer the ability to set those screenshots as your Windows 95 desktop. But the overall concept of you are this sort of sky pirate and you have these airplanes that you can modify and you're, you're flying these missions, Microsoft owns that IP. I think they still own that IP. And it's something that they haven't explored in any previous generation. And I would love to see a modern version of Crimson Skies. And if anybody has the ability either through legal emulation or the ability to get an original Xbox and the disc or the Windows 95 release of Crimson Skies, I would highly recommend it. It is an outstanding product. All right. The other one I'd like to see is um, not Chrome Hounds, although I would like to see a remake of Chrome Hounds, but, oh God, what was the original Xbox game that came with the controller and it was a mech game and when you died, it perma-wiped your save game off the hard disk. It was a Capcom game. The name is going to escape me, but there was a super hardcore mech game that sold with like an extra $300 controller. And if you died in the game, and it even had the flip up plastic cover and the eject button and ejecting was better than dying because literally dying would wipe your save game off the hard drive and you had to start over. I would love to see a remake of something that hardcore. Sounds horrifying. <laughs> Dying. It sounds horrifying, but it was super interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a web search real quick right. while you go on. Well, while you do that, let's just do another our final ad for the night. This portion of the show is brought to you by Amazon. If you could and would, please stop by Proving Gamer first and click on any Amazon link and continue with your normal shopping. Doesn't cost you anything extra and helps the site pay the bills. All this right. show needs to be sponsored by a remake of Def Jam Vendetta. Wow. All right, did you find Steel it, Steel Battalion. Steel Battalion. <sighs> All right, I'll have to check that out. All right, so let's close out the show uh, with some shout-outs. Alex, we'll start with you, sir. Well, I want to give a shout-out to the listeners, the fuel to the fire of this trophy horse. Thank you guys for continuing to support the show. Without your downloads, without your listens, we would not be here. We would not be continued to crawl further up the charts and just expand our uh, our influence. Um, without you guys, the show just doesn't run. So thank you all for your continued support of the show. Uh, give a shout-out to, to Yield and to Tricky for joining tonight. And most importantly, a shout-out to Jeff Hanna, uh, our guest, who's always a pleasure to have on, not just for his expertise, but uh, his humor and just his witticism and you know just his conversation. He's a great uh, guest host, so we always love having him on. Thank you and very much. Uh, give a shout out to my awesome and lovely girlfriend Ashley. I love you, honey. Um, yeah, that is going to be the it, or going to be the end of my shout outs. Yield. I will give a shout out to Tricky and Alex as well. Showed up recording tonight. Shout out to the fans for downloading, listening, and as always, a shout out to Jeff for coming on the show, recording, giving us his inside expertise on the industry. Anytime I'm available, I am happy to do so. Thank you. All right, Jeff, you want to do your shout-outs? Uh, let's start with Thin Mints. I haven't given them a shout-out in a few episodes. Uh, <laughs> Girl Stout Thin Mints. There are only two cookies per a box. Each cookie comes in one gigantic silver sleeve. I, I agree um, with that. <laughs> right? 
Uh, I also, to all of your listeners, thank you very much for continuing to support these guys. It's phenomenal, and I always love being invited onto the show. Um, a specific shout out tonight to Hannah Vineyards in Cinema, California. I am not at all related to them, but that Pinot Noir is outstanding. And a shout out to you guys for what are you at? 450 episodes? Uh, next episode will be 450, yes. Continue pressing on. That's outstanding that you can continue to do this and be successful at it and provide news and information that people want to listen to is something that should be applauded because 450 episodes is a huge number. Thank you. Well, we're. I, I have to say this, and I'm not kissing ass. You are one of the reasons that we gain you know, such a following because people love to come to listen to your episodes. That's why I wanted to make sure I got you on this episode. Um, but I hope, and this is a year out, and hopefully the pandemic is going to be uh, over and done with by then. Uh, but right now, and I said this on the show a couple uh, episodes ago, I am trying to organize a live event where the three of us all get together, let our fans come to you know New York City or wherever city we decide to do it in, New York City. Uh, because that's where Tricky lives. Yeah, because yes. that's where Tricky lives. Even though it'd be more convenient to have it in the Midwest, well, I'm see, just saying. It'd be more convenient to do it in New York City because Tricky's going to be doing all the planning and buying rent in the venue and all that other stuff. And I can't be traveling to the Midwest to do that every time. Well, Tricky, you come to the Midwest, oh. you can get some peanut butter on some waffles and some pancakes. That's, ne that's yeah. never happened. Anyway. Tricky, considering everything else needs to fall in place for this to happen, if this happens... I will commit to being there. That's what if you will eat a piece of Chicago style pizza with me that I will provide. That will never happen. Okay, well then I'm not going to be there. <laughs> oh, yeah, gotcha! I, I, Make I, the sacrifice, Tricky. Come on. No, there, there. It is a point of pride that no true New Yorker will ever eat a Chicago style pizza because if you try a, if you try a slice of Chicago style, I will try a slice of New York style. Have you ever had New York style pizza before? Yes, I've been to New York multiple uh, times. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. You have attracted the Miss Tricky. Chicago style is the superior pizza. Okay, hold on. Oh, Any pizza where the piece of sausage is the size of the pizza is the superior pizza. Okay. Have you ever wanted right. to have a piece of pizza that's as big as a tent that you have to fold over to eat? All right, all right. Everybody pause for one second. I got to ask Miss Tricky, who, AKA the goddess. Uh, you know the plans that I'm trying to do for 500 where I get to do a live event and bring all the fans and bring some guests in. Yes. Jeff just said he will commit to coming to the event if I try a, a, a one slice of Chicago-style pizza. I'm down with you. Oh. <laughs> I've been dying to try. Uh, uh, so uh, you know what? He's shit out of luck. You, you know what? Let's make this interesting. If I raise $1,000 on Extra Life this year, I will commit to eating a slice of Chicago-style pizza, irregardless of whether Jeff shows up and for episode 500. If you raise $1,000 on Extra Life this year, regardless of any other scheduling conflicts or anything else that may or may not allow me to be there for your 500th episode, I will ship you 
a Chicago style pizza. That I have to eat on that episode. <laughs> that you have to at yeah, least try on an episode. You and Mrs. Tricky have to try on an episode. All right, that's uh, that's a deal. All right, all right, done. <laughs> Let's fish the shout outs. I want to give a shout out to the goddess who said behind me is now signaling me. Yes. So, how are we gonna get? He says he's gonna ship it to us. All right, get down. All right, shout out to the goddess who just betrayed me. <laughs> uh, shout out to Sweet Mama D who now has three crowns in Fall Guys, where I have zero. I don't feel bad, neither do I. My well, buddy's got over seven. Uh, shout out to the listeners. Shout out you. Shout out to Jeff who just trapped me into betraying my love, uh, my loyalness to New York style pizza. We just trapped you into trying the superior well, you pizza. Should, yeah, you're just going to eat a superior pizza. Xbox of pizzas. So wait a minute, hold on. You're telling me that if you went to Italy, you wouldn't eat the pizza there because no, no. it's not that, New York style pizza? Okay, well, let's be well, clear pizza's here. Pizza's an American creation, so yeah, that's not yeah, that's it, an unstarted. Let, Technically, it's Chinese. Let, let's, yeah. let, let's be clear here. What we've referred to as pizza here is not what Italy refers to as pizza. Going to Italy... Is the Italian food in America is not what you get in Italy. Would I eat anything in, uh, in an Italian cafe or pizzeria or whatever they call them over there? I would devour whatever is made in Italy. Okay, Tricky. Uh, Thousandth episode. You and I broadcast from Italy. In another ten years. Yep. <laughs> I'll tell you. You know what? If we make it to episode a thousand, I will fly to Italy with you, and we will have Italian food. I, I, I am down for that. that. I, I that we will work on that a decade from now. And, and everyone, save up your money. Yeah, I'll start saving my stuff, saving my pennies. And by that time, we'll probably be on the PlayStation 15. Go, go, go to <laughs> Venice. <laughs> we'll get some gelato and some pizza. Actually, actually, given five-year time frame, we would only be on the PS7. That's true. I, I was just or trying the to Xbox make... Series XVII. Yeah, I, I was just trying to be a smartass, but yeah. All right, shout out to the listeners. Shout out to Jeff. Thank you very much for being on the show. If there's, not, if there's nothing else, until next week, happy trophy hunting. Bye. Later. The theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash evenphilippines.